0: My name is Rick Renner and I'm in the ancient city of Pergamum on the Acropolis. The city of Pergamum was really a unique place. It was very spiritually dark. All kinds of temples where sacrifices were being offered to the gods. This city was literally teeming with demon spirits in all kinds of dark, deep, mysterious religions. It's amazing that the gospel was able to penetrate this darkness, but if we'll preach the gospel, it can penetrate any environment at Pergamum is a great example of that. And in the midst of this very oppressive environment where the church was viciously persecuted, the church survived and thrived. There was a thriving church here. And the church was putting up with a lot of trouble from their neighbors because all of their neighbors were pagan. All of their neighbors misunderstood Christians because the Christian faith was new. Pagans thought it was very strange and Christians were being persecuted, great pressure was being put on them to compromise, and there was a temptation to compromise in order to get along with their neighbors. In fact, there was a teaching called the Doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and the teaching said, well, what does it hurt to make a few compromises to be more like your pagans, to go into pagan temples or burn little incense to the gods, if it will purchase you some peace with your neighbors? Maybe you need to accommodate the people that are around you. And the believers here were tempted to compromise their faith in order to spare themselves trouble and to get along with their neighbors. And when they began to compromise, Jesus spoke to them in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 16, and guess what he said? He said, repent. He commanded them to change, to stop making room for compromise, and to repent, to do the right thing in the presence of God, regardless of the price or the cost they had to pay repentance is a part of the Christian life. Then and now, Christ is still telling us to repent when we have an attitude or an action that is wrong. And we need to know what the Bible says about repentance because it is such a key New Testament word. It is for certain Christ will tell you to repent somewhere along the way. If he does, do you know what it means? You need to know. And that's what I'm gonna
1: talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust. A message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick.
0: Welcome to the program. My name is Rick Renner, and I'm so glad that you're allowing me to come into your home today. And as I told you in the introduction, today we're gonna be dealing with Christ's message to the church in Pergamum. You may say, Pergamum? Well, what relevance does that have to do with me? Well, it's in the Bible, It's in Revelation chapter 2, and I think when you hear what you're going to hear today, you're going to be amazed at how relevant it is for you. We're dealing with Jesus' message to the seven churches in Asia, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. But before we get into the message, I want to say that if you have a prayer need, we're here for you, and we're waiting for your phone call, or your email, or your letter. We're already praying for you. So if we hear from you, and you tell us exactly how to pray, it will just help us do a better job to pray for you. I pray for you every morning, every night. Our team prays for you. We're believing that the Word of God will really make an impact in your life. And I'm so thankful that you allow me to come right into your home to speak the Word of God to you. But I also want to tell you that we're offering you my series called Christ's Message to Pergamum. It's a 10-part series based on these programs with all the photos and the video and the Greek words, the definitions, it is amazing what is in this 10 part series and the study guide is really remarkable. I have a copy of it. My goodness, if I received that study guide, I would be so blessed because it contains so much additional information that's not even in the program. You will love the study guide. This is perfect for your personal study to share with a friend, and I'm going to tell you, it is really ideal for a Bible study. So I want to encourage you to get this. We're also offering you my little book called No Room for Compromise. The subhead says, Christ's message to today's church. The front of the book has an endorsement. It says, one of the best and most comprehensive books ever produced on this subject. And this particular endorsement means a lot to me because it's not from a theologian. It is from the director of the museum in Pergamum. That is amazing to me. She read this. She said, I have never seen a book like this one. And I'll tell you that this book really is the result of many years of study and research. I've been to Turkey countless times with my video team, my photographer, with my research team. And we have documented all these sites and put it into this book for you, for people who love the Word of God, and every page is full color. Look at this. It is just magnificent, and I know that you'll love it. And I want to read to you just one statement at the very beginning of the book. Between now and the time of Jesus' triumphant return, society will race toward a collision with end times. The spiritual climate is dramatically shifting, and we, ordained by God to live in this crucial hour, The changes taking place before our eyes will result in one of two choices for every believer, a decision to accommodate the world or a refusal to compromise. Those who yield to the temptation to accommodate the spirit of the age may avoid the pressure of overt persecution, but they will also lose their capacity to walk in the strong power of the Holy Spirit. But those who make no room for compromise must be ready to face the backlash of a world that grows increasingly intolerant of those who believe in and stand for moral absolutes. However, those who refuse to compromise can also expect to experience the empowering strength of the Holy Spirit to uphold them and see them all the way to victory in the end. That's what this book is about. It is such a gift, it is a treasure. And I know that it will mean a lot to you. So order your copy today. But today we're going to jump right into Revelation chapter 2. And we have a lot of material to cover. And today I'm going to refer to my notes because there's so much material that I don't want to miss. But we're going to begin Revelation chapter 2 in verse 12 where the Bible says, And the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these things saith he, which hath a sharp sword with two edges, verse 13, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And how thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Interesting that in verse 13, twice, Jesus says Satan dwells in Pergamum. And when we look at verse 12, It says to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Well, before we can go any further, first we have to stop to discuss Pergamum. What was Pergamum? What kind of city was Pergamum? It's very important to understand the words of Jesus in these verses. Pergamum was a magnificent city on the western side of the Roman province of Asia. It was simply amazing. In fact, there has never been another city that even comes close to the dazzling brilliance that was in the city of Pergamum. It was actually intentionally created to be a mirror of Athens. Athens was the sophisticated city of the Western world, but in Asia, this was to be a mirror of Athens. But in many ways, it excelled Athens. It excelled Athens in its architecture. It excelled Athens in its sculpture. It excelled Athens in terms of education and philosophers. The city of Pergamum was simply amazing it was a magnificent city that sat on the crest of a hill in western asia now listen careful the city of pergamum teemed with idols and pagan temples in fact it was such a bastion of idolatry that it was viewed to be the center of idolatry during the 1st century there was not a darker city There was not a city more engrossed in idolatry in the entire Roman Empire than the city of Pergamum. That's quite a statement when you consider how dark was the Roman Empire. But there was not a city darker than Pergamum. There was not another city devoted to paganism and idolatry as much as the city of Pergamum. In fact, much, much later, nearly 300 years later, after the gospel was written, there was a Roman emperor who was raised as a Christian, but he defected from the faith and decided that he would become a pagan, a fully devout pagan. Where do you think he went to study idolatry and paganism? He packed up his bags and he moved to Pergamum because Pergamum, even 300 years after the writing of the New Testament, was still totally engrossed in occult rituals and idolatry. It was simply a very dark spiritual place. That is the city of Pergamum. It had magnificent temples, but the darkest religious site in the whole city of Pergamum was the great altar of Zeus. The great altar of Zeus was so great that it was listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was gilded in gold. It was covered with magnificent frescoes. And today you can still visit the altar of Zeus. It's not in Turkey or it's not in Western Asia, but today it is in the Pergamum Museum in the city of Berlin. And it is breathtaking. When you see this amazing monumental sculpture and think that it was created probably nearly 3,000 years ago, it just nearly takes your breath. But it was the altar to Zeus. And from this altar and from all the other temples and the altars in the city of Pergamum, the smoke billowed into the sky 24 hours a day until the smoke of sacrifices literally hung and hovered over the Acropolis of Pergamum. And when visitors would approach the city from the valley below, they could see the smoke billowing out into the air from the top of the Acropolis. If the sun was shining, they could see the great altar of Zeus as it shined and dazzled, the gold that it was gilded with in the light of the sun. It was simply a spectacular, dazzling sight. And though it was beautiful outwardly, spiritually, it was one of the darkest places in the entire Roman Empire. And in the midst of all that darkness, the church of Jesus Christ was born. The Bible tells us where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. God loves to show up where there's darkness. Where sin abounds, God loves to pour out his grace. And that's what God did in the city of Pergamum when the church was birthed. In the midst of all that spiritual darkness, something else very important is that the city of Pergamum was the headquarters for the proconsul of Rome. You say, well, what is a proconsul? Well, that's the old word for a governor. The proconsul was the highest authority in the entire Roman province of Asia. He had the final say so in law, he was a judge, he was a governor, he was an executor, he was everything. And in the city of Pergamum, he sat on the throne and he held a sword in his hand and he had what was called the right of the sword. He had the right to say who lived and who died. If he dropped the sword, it meant someone would die. If he held the sword, it meant they would live. But the proconsul sat on his throne in the city of Pergamum and determined who would live who would be executed. And his power was so weighty that you could say his shadow and the shadow of Pergamum didn't just cover Pergamum itself, but it covered the entire region of Asia because whatever he ruled is what would happen all over the Roman province of Asia. And the believers in Pergamum were living under the shadow of that sword. He was against them He was against them because of their Christian faith and because they wouldn't worship the emperor. And Christians were constantly in jeopardy in Pergamum because of the Roman proconsul who held his sword. But by the time the church was birthed in the city of Pergamum, Pergamum was already very old. And at least for 400 years before the first century, pagans had been coming from all over the Roman Empire to conduct ritual occult sacrifices in the city of Pergamum, And again, the smoke just billowed into the air and the city was filled with so many different kinds of cults and gods and temples and strange, eerie music that was coming out of all of those temples and sexual acts so detestable that I can't even describe them. All of these were part of ritual sacrifices and occult practices which were taking place on the Acropolis there in the city of Pergamum. We don't know for sure who started the church, but it's likely that the church of Pergamum began during Paul's three-year residence in the city of Ephesus. While Paul was in the city of Ephesus, churches were birthed all over Asia. It was a very exciting time for the gospel. Well, Pergamum was only 95 miles from Ephesus. It was a powerful city. It was a political city. What happened in Pergamum? is eventually what would happen in all the cities of Asia. So it's likely that Paul would want to reach the city of Pergamum. If he could make a dent with the gospel in Pergamum, it would have positive ramifications for the gospel all over Asia. And Paul was very strategic in everything he did. So either he went there himself or he dispatched teams from Ephesus to Pergamum. And through those teams or through his own personal involvement, he became the apostle to the church in Pergamum. We don't know exactly who he sent or when he did it, but this is likely what took place. But when the gospel preachers went to Pergamum, whether it was Paul or whether it was a team, they really did an amazing thing. They pushed back the powers of darkness, they bravely went where no one had ever gone, and the gospel began to penetrate the spiritual environment in the city of Pergamum. It makes me think of John chapter 1, verse 1, which says, And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That's what the King James says. But listen to this. The word comprehended is a Greek word katalambano. The word katalambano is a Greek word, which means to seize, grab hold of, to pull down, to tackle, to conquer, to master, or to hold under one's power. When you put all that together, let me give you an RIV translation of John chapter 1, verse 5. Darkness does not have the ability to suppress or to hold the light under its domain. Darkness simply does not have the power to tackle the gospel light. It doesn't have that power. It cannot master the light of the gospel. Darkness may seem to be powerful. But darkness always crumbles, it always fades when the gospel light begins to be preached. From the very beginning of the church, darkness tried to suppress the light, but it couldn't do it. The enemy's efforts were unsuccessful because the light of God always prevails even in the bleakest, darkest circumstances. And that is true in your life as well. The gospel will prevail regardless of what situation you are in right now. And John 1:5 triumphantly declares that darkness is ultimately incapable of suppressing the light or holding it under its domain. Darkness always gives way and light always breaks through with all of its glorious brilliance. But again, it's likely that the Apostle Paul went there or sent a team and through his influence personally or the influence of his team, the church was birthed in the city of Pergamum. And right in the midst of all of that teeming darkness, God's people begin to grow, people begin to be evangelized, and the light of the gospel begin to blaze in the city. Wow, this is just amazing to me, just amazing. But the devil didn't just sit by and let them do it. Savage persecution eventually came to the church. And the Christians who lived in Pergamum had to learn how to deal with real spiritual warfare, beyond anything that you and I have ever thought of, real spiritual warfare. They had to deal with an environment where Satan thrived, where they continually dealt with bullying, persecution, prejudice, imprisonment, and many of them were even killed for their faith. They were really up against it, but they didn't surrender. They kept shining the light. And when we come to Revelation 2.12, it says to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This word angel is the same word we saw when Jesus addressed the church in Ephesus and the church in Smyrna. It is the Greek word angelos. This word angel does not describe a heavenly angel with wings or a heavenly angel that flies, but it describes a human messenger. The Greek word angelos describes a human messenger or one sent on a special mission. One dispatch to perform a specific assignment, a delegate or a dignitary, it describes the role of a pastor, a messenger of God. This describes the pastor of the church. And this is so very important because when Jesus had something to say to the church of Pergamum, he did not directly address the church. He addressed the pastor of the church. And this teaches us again, just as we saw in Christ's message to Ephesus and Smyrna, that God never bypasses authority that he has set in place. God respects those who have authority. And if God has something good to say to the church, he's going to say it to the pastor first. If God has a correction to give to the church, the pastor is going to hear it first, and it is up to the pastor to fully ingest what Christ says, to assimilate it into his system, and then to deliver it to the congregation in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the function of a pastor. And now we find in Revelation 2.12, Christ honors the pastor of the church and he speaks to the pastor first. And the Bible says, unto the angel of the church of Pergamum. Well, let's stop and look at this word church. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia. The word ekklesia is a very well-known Greek word from Greek society, and here's what it described. Not a church like we think of, but originally it was a very political word. This word, church, described a called, separated, prestigious assembly of distinguished citizens who determined laws, debated public policy, formulated new policies, argued and ruled in judicial matters. They decided who should be banished, who should be elected. They were, and when we use it in context of the church, it describes a body of believers who've been called out, called for, selected, and assembled to be God's representatives in every town, every city, every state, and every nation. It is God's people assembled together to make decisions that affects the atmosphere of a region. This really is the meaning of the word church. That's where it comes from. An assembled body of believers or an assembled group that has power to make decisions that affect a city, a state, a nation, to change the environment. This means God's intention was that the church be a people who have power to change the world. We are to be God's prophetic voice to every city wherever we are. God never intended that the church be a hidden group of believers, that hidden fear or cowered in fear... God's plan was that the church rise to a position of power and influence. That's what the word church, the Greek word ekklesia, emphatically tells us. But believers in Pergamum were having a hard time doing this because of persecution. Particular persecution that was being brought against them during the emperor, Domitian, during his rule. Domitian hated the church. He hated believers. He wanted to extinguish the faith. And because of that, The church in Pergamum could not carry on openly like they wanted to because if their meetings had been discovered, they would have been punished, perhaps even executed for their faith. So for a time, they were the underground church. But in the underground church, they spiritually began to operate in spiritual power to change the atmosphere. But here's what's amazing to me. It didn't matter how dark the situation was, It didn't matter that they were struggling because of opposing powers. When Jesus addressed them, he still called them the church. They were his ecclesia. They were his called out ones separated to rule and reign in the power of the gospel. And that's who you are. That's who your church is. And we're out of time and we're just getting started. But we'll be back tomorrow and we're going to pick up right here. But I'll be back in just a moment, and I'm going to pray
1: for you. Explore the Bible and the first century church with Rick Renner's book, No Room for Compromise. In this masterful hardback Bible study, Rick transports you to the first century and the life of the early church, exploring the relevance of Jesus's end time message to the church of Pergamum then, and how that end time message is relevant today. On every page, Rick reveals the larger context of the Book of Revelation and his appearance to the Apostle John, taking you on a journey through the first three centuries of Christian opposition within a pagan world. You'll be amazed to see how the early church thrived through the light, life, and power of Jesus Christ. This beautifully bound 400-page book can be yours for $80. Features on-location photography, added artwork, and historical illustrations that enhance the in-depth teaching. When you call or go online today, you can also get the 10-part teaching series, Christ's Message to the Church in Pergamum. As one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the church in Pergamum was a light of faith in the pagan darkness. In this series, you'll see how Jesus' message of holding on to faith is just as relevant today as it was in the first century. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $20. Don't miss this special offer, No Room for Compromise, and Christ's Message to the Church in Pergamum. Call now or go to renner.org to order.
2: My name is Joel Renner, coming to you from our Moscow TV studio. And I want to say thank you to all of our ministry supporters because of your support that we can do our work, reaching out to the forgotten people. One of our primary works in Moscow is reaching out to the outcasts of society. Shut-ins, the homeless, the mentally ill, the orphaned, the disabled, street kids, and the incarcerated. But thanks to the support of our partners, we are reaching these precious souls and ministering God's love to them. We tell them that Jesus loves them and we give them the gospel. But we also express care by meeting some of their basic needs. Our ministry is involved with each one of these outreaches where we demonstrate care in ways that words alone can never do. This is all possible due to the support of our partners. But there are so many more that still need our help. So many more people battling hunger, poverty, mental illness, so many more orphans and children with special needs that need our help. Would you consider joining us as partners today? Your gifts can lift more people up that society has forgotten. We can't do this work without your financial support. When you give, we are able to take the gospel both to our nearby world and to the ends of the earth. We all have a part to play. Right from your home, right now, you can help us help others by becoming our partner in the work, by supporting our work financially. Please call or go online to Renner.org to give. To your support, we can continue to make a huge difference in people lives
0: what a privilege to share the word of god with you today and i want to remind you again that if you have a prayer need we're here from you and we would love for you to call us or email us communicate with us so we'll really know how to pray for you and i'm offering you my series called Christ's message to pergamum order it It comes with an amazing study guide you will just love the study guide all the points, all the principles, everything, all the history in these programs. It's all in this 10-part series. We're also offering you my book called No Room for Compromise: Christ's Message to Today's Church. I can't begin to tell you how beautiful this book is. And it's not just beautiful. This book really says something. In fact, I don't know a person that's obtained this book that has not been pleased, even thrilled. And because of its size, a lot of people use it as a coffee table book. And people just flip through the pages and enjoy it. It just will enrich your life. It will take you to somewhere new in your understanding of the New Testament times and your understanding of Scripture. It is really a treasury that you're going to enjoy. But I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you in the marvelous name of Jesus that today we had this time together. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be your ecclesia. You've called us to be your called-out ones, separated anointed, to rule and reign, to exercise spiritual authority, to change our situations, to change even the bleakest situation. And Father, we thank you that the gospel is a gospel that cannot be suppressed. Its light cannot be put down because it is the supernatural gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being with me today. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, it says, Where the word of a king is, there's power. Let God's word release its power in you today, and I'll see you in the next program.
1: Thank you for joining Rick Renner today. For more information about Renner Ministries and product resources, visit renner.org and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.